Uh, it's good to see all your good-looking faces, and man, I hope you've enjoyed the, the break. Uh, some of you college students, welcome back. More of you are coming back. We missed you guys. We really did, and so it's good to see you, and I just want to take a moment. Um, they're here today, Hunter Angel and Rebecca Swilly. Will y'all stand up just for a minute? Uh, this is our latest engaged couple, and so may we give them a hand and show our encouragement to them. Love you guys, and we're so excited for all that God has planned for you. And I say the latest engaged couple because God has blessed us with quite a few engagements around, and it's so neat. Uh, Rebecca, uh, I was a student pastor, and yeah, it does not make me feel old at all that you're engaged. And uh, but we used to play basketball in her driveway, and she used to dominate me even when she was in fifth grade. So there it is. All right, I confessed it. All right, everybody knows. All right. Um, but man, I'm so excited for you guys, and, and Hunter, every uh, moment I've been around you and just the time I've gotten to know you, I'm so excited. And I tell you what, it's neat to see just how God brings um, his loved ones together, and uh, man, he's got a great plan for you guys. So love you, and we're excited for you. I am so excited uh, to get into the Bible, aren't you? <laughs> oh, really? Come on, man. Wow, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm I think that after you hear this today, you're going to be ready to die. You're going to be ready to die. And, and the reason I say that is because, you know, this earth is great, but what's coming is far greater. And you just think that this is good. And, you know, just kind of have this in your mind. I want you to go ahead and get just the greatest images you can here on this earth. I want you just to hold on to those. You can cherish those, but I can tell you, that is only a, a glimmer of what is to come. Now, for some of you in this room, what you're going to hear today is going to be quite terrifying to you, because right now, where you are, you're not following Jesus. And as you hear this up front, this may not sound like good news to you, but if you will look to Jesus, it's, it's great news. For those who do follow Jesus, you're going to hear this message today, and it may terrify you as well. Because the position you may find yourself in is that you really, 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 really love this earth. And you're holding on to it tightly. And you have forgotten, or maybe you did not know, of what is to come. And so the reason I say that you will find yourselves ready to die, you, you, you will say, Lord, to you be the glory. What, whatever it may be, to you be the glory. We are so excited for what you have for us in the future. And we are so grateful for what you have already done. And the reason I say that as well is because in this passage, these Christians are facing death. It is coming. It is on the forefront. And the writer, he's writing to them. He's saying, hey, I don't want to give you the gospel. I don't want to remind you that Jesus is better so that then you just have happy lives here on this earth, so that you have comfortable lives, and that you go, oh, okay, good. Now we can just kind of settle in, and, you know, I can always have that house that I wanted, whatever it may be. No, he's not telling them that for that reason. He's saying, love Jesus. Love Jesus all the more. So let's dive right into it. Last week, um, we looked at Mount Sinai. And this is a connection here in verse 25 from what we looked at last week into what we're looking at this week. We continue in our series being kingdom-minded with a focus on an unshakable kingdom today. Verse 25 says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him, who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. 
So when we looked last week, we looked back to Mount Sinai, and we said this was a terrifying picture of what took place. The mountain was fully charged with the holiness of God, and since there, there was not, not an ounce of holiness in their bodies, if they were to go touch that mountain, they would die because sin reigned in their mortal bodies, taking up every last bit. There was no room for holiness in their bodies due to their, their sin. The position that they were in is they were standing before Mount Sinai, and they were restricted from coming close to the mountain. So we see that there is distance, and that is uh, the problem for man and God, that man has to stay back. Stay back. I'm holy. You're not. That's what we see at Mount Sinai. It says, you can't come close to me due to your sin. So then the law was given to them, to be a constant reminder because they didn't take the law and then draw closer to God. No, what they did, they took the law and then they rebelled all the more. It just exposed their rebellion. It exposed their hearts while they rebelled against God. So the law was there to remind them, your sin, your sin, your sin, it's a big deal before God. Never brought them closer to God. They continued to rebel. They had hard hearts towards God. And now we fast forward to the first century. That's where we are in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. If you're wondering today what's happening, the writer, he's writing to a group of Christians and he's saying, hey, don't go back to the temple worship. No, worship Jesus. He is much better. All that was but a shadow. Here is the reality. Here is Jesus. And see, they had fallen for the lie that they could actually live by the law. Some of you, I may ask you the question, what is the gospel? And your response may be law. You may think it's a bunch of rules, that that you have to be good. You couldn't be more wrong when it comes to the gospel. The gospel is not about law. Because the thing is, we cannot uphold the law before a holy God. We all fell miserably short of upholding the law. But see, you had people like the Pharisees who thought that they upheld the law, that they were good, so they could hold on to this law and reject Jesus. He said, hey, don't go back to that. No, because you can't live by the law. Remember Mount Sinai, terrifying experience? He says, remember that. And so now he's writing to remind the church. He says, don't go back to that terrifying mountain. Press on towards a better mountain, Mount Zion. So we looked at that last week, and so that's just to catch you up to speed here. He says, hey, Jesus is there. You will be there, so let's press on to what Christ has already laid before us, the way to the Father. So the first thing, if you're taking notes today, you want to jot this down. There is no escape for those who refuse God. There's no escape. There's no hiding. Pick up in this verse, he says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See, God spoke through thunder and through angels at Mount Sinai. And Moses served as a type of mediator for them. God gave the people a warning, and he says, hey, there's no escaping this. And there was no escape for them because when they rebelled, they died out in the wilderness. So there was 40 years in the wilderness, million people estimated being delivered out of Egypt. So many of them died out because of breaking the law. There was no escaping his holiness. And they refused him who warned them. And we see this. 
Stephen, when he was about to be stoned in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, and he says, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And Jesus, Jesus said this when he was in the temple. John 7, 19, he says, has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus said, I'll pull the law. None of you uphold the law, yet you seek to kill me. You're the one who needs to die. Jesus came and he died in our place so that we may have hope. Well, that's good news. That is good news. Much less will we be able to escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Who is this? In Hebrews 12, he's speaking of who is warning from heaven. It's Jesus. Jesus is warning us. He, he came, he lived on this earth, and he told us, he said, don't store up your treasures here. No, it's going to be destroyed. No, not, not here. Store them up in heaven. Store them up for the future. You see, Jesus is not just a translator of the word of God. He is the word of God. So when he came as the mediator, he's not just communicating God's word. He is God's word in the flesh. And for those who reject God, he says, consider yourselves warned, giving you a warning. For those who have repented and have been received by God into his family, be kingdom-minded. Not earthly-minded, kingdom-minded. Eyes fixed on Christ. So the writer could stop there, but he doesn't. Because he's going to share with them something so much more exciting, so much more that's added on to this good news. It continues on as he warns the first century church of the big one that is to come. He says, you think that shaking of the mountain at Sinai was something? Just wait till the big one comes. Wait till the big one. It will make that terrifying scene at Sinai seem comforting. So the second thing we see is that the big one is coming. There's no escaping him, and the big one is coming. When we speak of the big one, we can think of out in California, talk about the, the big earthquake that will happen, and will split half of California out to go into the sea. You know, that, that very well could happen, and that would be terrifying. I mean, the very fact that they talk about that and people just find their comfort living out in California baffles me. I mean, I like South Georgia, you know what I'm saying? But yet, people continue to live there. They go through their everyday lives. Back in 1989, they got quite a shock. World Series Game 3, Oakland A's for San Francisco Giants. The reason I know that because the Giants beat my Cubs. I was upset. They got to the World Series in Game 3. I'm sitting there watching it. It's 8 o'clock. It's 5 o'clock over there. The game's about to start, and all of a sudden... The broadcast goes out, and there's an earthquake, 6.9 on the Richter scale. And, I mean, kids were still at school uh, during that time, during that afternoon, that kids were still at school. There was a volleyball game going on, and lights began to sway, and then the lights went out, and kids just scatter. I mean, people were there at bars, and they're hanging out, having themselves an afternoon drink and trying to solve all the world's problems, and all of a sudden, uh, bottles began crashing down on the ground, and you can see through the camera, they just run out of there. People are, are driving home on Bay Bridge, and all of a sudden it collapses on top of cars. I mean, it's, it's total shock. 63 people died. Over 3,700 people were injured. And nobody, although they knew that earthquakes could happen, and although there were some tremors leading up to it, they weren't expecting it at that moment. They were just going about their lives. And here we talk about the big one that's going to happen in California, and people still live there. Still live there. But we know of an even bigger quake that's going to happen. 
And it's so real that we should not be able to go about our lives as if it's, if it's, not, if it's not, not, or if it's so far down the road that it doesn't impact our life right now. No, it impacts our life right now. And this great quake is going to happen. And he's, he's sharing this with the church so that they would know that all that they see around them is going to come crashing down, literally. He's warning the early church. Yet most people will go on living like it's not going to happen. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you follow him, just remember, the big one is coming. And may this be reflected in the way that you live your life. His voice shook Mount Sinai, okay? But now he has promised something much greater. And God's never broken a promise, Never broken a promise. So here we have his promise that something great is going to happen. So let's, let's learn more of this. Verse 26. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. This yet once more draws our attention to Haggai 2.6. I know you have a lot of your quiet times in the book of Haggai, so you're very familiar with this verse, I know, okay? But verse 2.6, it says, uh, for, those, or, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I don't know, but last time I said, I think that's all-inclusive there, everything. And notice what caused the first earthquake. What caused the first quake there at Mount Sinai was not a seismic shift, but the voice of God. And yet the voice of God, he is promising that there's something bigger coming. And he says, yet once more, and understand that this precedes the consummation of the new heavens and the new earth, meaning that the passing away of the temporary ushers in the eternal. Oh, it's, it's a wonderful picture God created this world, he set it into motion, and he's overseeing all in which he has created. But yet he will create a new heaven and a new earth, one that abides forever. And this will be the place of habitation for God's people for all of eternity. So you may not be very familiar when I'm talking about the new heaven and the new earth. This may be a shock for you because you just thought, hey, what about heaven? Let me kind of break it down briefly for you. I don't know what your stance on eschatology is. You may not even know what that word is, okay? But the study of end times, you may be uh, pre-mill, pre-millennial, okay? You may be post-millennial. You may be amillennial. And again, you may have no clue what I'm talking about right now. You may be in better shape than those of us who do, all right? But it's fascinating as we study and look in Scripture and see how the end will come about. And yet it should not be something that divides us, church, if you may stand opposed to maybe where I stand on the view of end times. I'll just go ahead and tell you, uh, Tim LaHaye writes a lot of good things. I, I just don't match up with his Left Behind series, okay? You may think that I'm not preaching the gospel now, okay? But Tim LaHaye, okay, I'm just saying, all right? We had somebody come one Sunday. Uh, let me just check, see if she's here. She's not. Okay, all right. So she came one Sunday. She was a visitor. She said, hey, um, she waited for me at the end. She said, hey, what's your view of the end times? And, and I told her, and she said, hmm. She frowned. She said, okay. I said, you leaving now? 
And she said, well, I just can't line up with that. And I said, well, you know what? Here's the thing. Do you believe Jesus is coming back? She said, yes, I do. I said, I do too. Why should that make us any different? Why should that make us any different? You keep studying that. I keep saying that this is not a dividing issue. This is, this is a good news issue. It's a good news issue that Jesus is coming back. Some of you don't want Jesus to come back. Some Christians don't want Jesus to come back. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. He's coming back. And as he comes back, he will take us to be with him. And then here, all of this will be laid out, this judgment of what we're reading. So right now, if you were to die, where would you go? If you're a follower of Jesus, I believe your spirit goes to be with the Father in heaven. And your body goes into the ground. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you die, I believe your spirit goes to hell. A literal place that's just as real as heaven. Well, that's what happens literally to us right now. In the future, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back? Our bodies that are in the ground will be reunited and be made new, immortal, bodies that cannot die. And then those who are in hell will be caught up. They, too, will face judgment, and then they will be cast into an eternal lake of fire, which will never end. It's eternal. And then those who are his, the redeemed, their new bodies will come down. Heaven and earth will meet, and we will reside on a new earth forever, forever. Some of you are doubting that. Read Scripture, and that's what we're looking at today. All that surrounds us, that which appears stable and unmovable will crumble. It will crumble. Mount Everest, anybody climb Mount Everest? I mean, we get some horses in here, anybody? No, all right. Doesn't matter, I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to crumble. Grand Canyon, anybody seen the Grand Canyon? Beautiful, yeah, okay. It's going to be nothing. Sorry. Seven seas, emptied, emptied out, poured out, man. There's so much we don't even know that's in the water, so much we don't know. I mean, we only discovered, what, 5%, 10% of what's in the oceans is poured out. The sky will fall. Stars, planets will burst. This decaying earth will be no more. Still love it? Still want to hold on to it forever? It's not that you can enjoy this time right now, but don't make your life all about this earth. Those that made earth their home, storing up treasures and secured vaults, whether you're seeking to have big mansions and skyscrapers, palaces, land as far as the eye can behold, fame, record books, will be sifted through God's judgment. And only that which God has redeemed will remain. Think about that. When you're sifted through God's judgment, will you remain? Have you been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? This warning is coming to the church. He's saying, you don't want to go back because this is happening. You don't want to go back to that because if you go back, you are rejecting the lamb which was slain. And you cannot escape his wrath coming. 2 Peter 2, or 2 Peter 3, 9 through 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, 
and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. What's happening in the end? We will be exposed. Everything will be exposed. Nothing can be hidden from God. Hebrews 4.13, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Get this, the wicked who are on earth, they will not run to God. When this terrifying event happens, they're not running to God. No, they will do everything they can to hide from his face. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. And the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up. T, time out. Time out. The sky. You go and look at the sky. It's going to be rolled up like a scroll. That's what's being explained here. And every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come and who can stand? So all of those who mock God, who oppose God, who make light of Christianity. This is their future. Hiding from the face of God. Terrified of God. They will be remembered no more. Isaiah 65, 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Which makes all the more sense for us when we look at storing our treasures up with him. Right now, you may not be at peace in your heart because you're wanting something here on this earth and you feel like God owes it to you. That he should have already given it to you. That if he loves you, he would just give you what you ask. So that you can just build your sandcastle life. That's not what he wants for you. It's something so much greater because his tide is coming in and it will crush our sandcastles. But yet there's something so much greater beyond this. He's making this very clear to them. He says, you may fear your life right now, but there's something much greater to come, church. Everything will be made right. Sin will be destroyed. Evil will be gone. Righteousness will reign. I mean, it's sickening to to look across the landscape, not only our nation, but the world, and just see sin destroy, 
sin destroying families. To see how kids act towards their, their parents and parents who ignore their kids and husband and wife who just speak to each other in ways that are just so disrespectful and, and not honoring and see the lack of love in the home, to see the lack of respect that young ones show towards older ones. And yet all of this materialism that we just soak up, that it's about entertain me, entertain me, entertain me. And you get to a point where you're like Gladys, Gladys Maximus, whatever his name is, he says, are you not entertained? Everything you have, are you not entertained? No, there is a longing for more. Church, you're not going to be entertained by everything that goes on here. Do, do not store up all your treasures here. Don't, don't go back to that old way. No. Move forward. Wayne Grudem says, Though all these things have been marred and destroyed, distorted by sin, God will not completely destroy the physical world which would be an acknowledgement that sin had frustrated and defeated God's purposes, but rather he will perfect the entire creation and bring it into harmony with the purposes for which he originally created it. Therefore, we can expect that in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be a fully perfect earth that is once again very good. And we can expect that we will have physical bodies that will once again be very good in God's sight and that will function to fulfill the purposes for which he originally placed man on the earth. So a new heaven, a new earth, in which your body will be nothing but righteous. And what you think is great here on this earth, so much more in the new earth. Randy Alcorn goes on, he says, and God has never given up on his original creation. Biblical vocabulary makes this point clear. Reconcile, redeem, restore, return, regenerate, resurrect. Each of these biblical words begins with the re-prefix, suggesting a return to an original condition that was ruined or lost. That which was ruined or lost in the beginning, when man chose to rebel against God. Man will be redeemed, restored. But not only just man, but this earth will be restored. It's decaying. It's falling apart. We're learning this. There are signs. The Bible tells us. He says, hey, there are going to be earthquakes. There are going to be reminders that the big one's coming. We see these tremors. We see all the evidence around us that this is true. But one day, this earth will be redeemed. It will be made new. So number three, the redeemed inherit an unshakable kingdom. So for the redeemed, you receive a redeemed earth. Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Have you ever thought about that in the Beatitudes? What a blessing. What, what blessing would that be if we receive this earth when we're not to store up our treasures here in this earth? Right? But he's not talking about this earth. It's talking about the earth that will be. And it's blessed are the meek. It's not the proud. Proud does not inherit the promises of God. It's not how powerful you are. But it's looking to the fullness of the new covenant. James 4, 6 reminds us, but he gives 
more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proud man is friends with the world and enemies with God. You do not want to find yourself fighting against God. That is not the position that you want to be in. All of those that persecute the church, they may think that they're winning against the church. Let's just make this current right now. Whether it's ISIS, whether it's some other regime, or whether it's just people who hate the spread of Christianity. If they take the life of a Christian, they think that they're winning something. No, they're just storing up wrath for themselves. But all of this is preparing the way of Christ to return. Just like Satan thought he was winning when he got man to rebel against God. And they thought, I won! I won! I messed up your plan, God! No! Now it's been put in place. I mean, Jesus, God, before the world was even created, he set aside Jesus to come redeem man. And so all that is just put it in motion. And when Jesus went to the cross, I won, I won. No, Satan, you have been defeated. Christ has won. Christ has risen. And yet we too will live with him. For all of those who oppose, for all of those who are proud, to all of those who fight against and who persecute the church, They are enemies of God, and they will not remain. They will not remain. The humble shall remain. Jesus will return for his bride, and the kingdom of God will reign in the new heavens and new earth. So the church inherits something much greater than this present earth. And as we've said, only the righteous will reign. How are we righteous? Who is the hero in this? Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through Christ, you become the righteousness of God. A title that you don't earn. A title that you cannot be proud and boast in of yourself. You had nothing to do with it. It is all the grace of God. Which means that all eyes are on creator God. And on the new earth, when we reign with him, God will be in the center. He is king of his people. And we will not fight, and we will not rebel, and we will not reject him. We will worship him. We will see his face. We will not run from his face. We will see his face. And that will be our greatest delight and joy. In the Old Testament, when the glory of God filled the temple, the priests were unable to stand and minister. In the New Testament, when the glory of God surrounded the shepherds in the field outside Bethlehem, they were filled with fear. But here in the heavenly city, we will be able to endure the power and holiness of the presence of God's glory. For we will live continually in the atmosphere of the glory of God. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Do you want to live under that light? Do you want to live on that earth? It's looking to Jesus. He is the only one who can make you righteous, who can forgive you of your sin, whose blood covers you and washes you white as snow. 
Verse 28, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. So he's saying draw close to the throne of grace where your gaze is set upon his glorious face. Be grateful and extend grace to others. If they want you to go one mile, go with them too. They want to take your cloak, man, give them the other cloak as well. Because you have a great inheritance, an unshakable kingdom. Now have an unshakable faith. That's what he's telling them. You have an unshakable kingdom, now have an unshakable faith. And so as you look around, and you may want and think you need and have to have all of these things, is your greatest want, your greatest desire, your greatest need, is it Jesus? Is it Jesus? God's, God's not playing games here, church. He's not playing games. This is who he is. He is holy. Don't think for one minute that you can get before him and plead your case of righteousness and stand before him. You will go running and try to hide from his face. But yet for us, we hear this and this is what it should do. We shouldn't look to the world and go, ooh, yuck, disgusting, yeah, right? We shouldn't do that. But we do. We're not looking to the world and saying, I'm better than you. I'm holy. I'm righteous in Christ. Get away from me. No, we go to the world. We share with them that we are part of an unshakable kingdom. Hey, this is shakable, man. It's going to come crumbling down. But the unshakable kingdom is because of Christ. You want to go there? You want to look to Jesus? You want to recognize in yourself that you've fallen short and deserve the wrath of God? Let's talk about it. How are they going to know unless you go tell them? If you believe this message, how do we just sit on this? How do we just say, oh man, I just can't wait to, to get out of here today, go eat, man, lounge around, have a good time, you know what I'm saying? Man, we ought to hear this, and man, this ought to eat at us. This ought to make you very uncomfortable. It ought to make you look at everything in your life. And you ought to put it through a strainer and you just ought to be able to look and say, hey, what has great value? What should I be focused on? For first century, they hear this and it leads them to acceptable worship. Number four, the kingdom-minded response. What it does, it leads us to acceptable worship. How many of our college students went to Passion this past week? Went to Passion? John Piper uh, spoke this week at Passion. And uh, I'm a big, big fan. Uh, I really like to listen to his messages and also read his books. This is something that he said, I believe, at Passion this past week. And he's talking about the Lamb's Book of Life. It's your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's what will be read. And all those who are there, the lamb was slain for. They receive life. He says, if your name is in the book, your calling isn't to stay alive, but to stay in love. Death is a small thing compared to hell. 
a very small thing. If you're in the book, that's not your goal. The purpose of being in the book, of being known, appointed, loved, purchased, the point is not to keep yourself alive, but to keep yourself in love with Jesus. And nothing, not even death, can stop it. We must be ready to die for the world. That's what Christians do. We keep ourselves in love. By your life, humble, happy. By your death, humble, happy. The lamb is seen to be more precious than anything. So as you hear this and you look to new heavens and the new earth, heaven meeting earth and us, they're reigning with Christ because our names are written in the book. We don't just go, oh good, man, I'm, I'm glad my name's there. And then live a life completely contrary to what the Bible teaches us. To just take hold of that and say, hey man, I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to be like them. I'm not going to hell. But I'm not going to go tell them they're going to hell because I don't want them to get mad at me. <laughs> yeah? It's not so that you can save your life. He didn't die for you and redeem your life so that you could just rule your life. No, he is your ruler. It's not so that you can just go wave some certificate around that you received your baptism five years ago. Nothing wrong with a baptism certificate. I think they're pretty cool. But that you go, see, here it is. I mean, just look at my certificate. Look on the wall. Look at my life. Look at my life. Look at my redeemed life. I'm not the same person I was. Oh, you want to know why I don't hold on to all of these things? You want to know why I'm letting go, why I'm struggling to let go, but I'm letting go? Because here's what's coming. Here's what's coming. 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Do you you hear that? How your life should be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. Death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? You want to know where it is? It's here. It's here. Death stings. Death hurts. Death separates. If we're at a funeral and there's a corpse here and we're saying, death, where's your sting? You want to know where the death is? Where the sting is? Right there. It's on the front row of the family and all the family and friends that are here that are to mourn. Death does sting. Death is dark. Death calls us to doubt God's goodness and his righteousness, his plan. That's what death does. 
Death causes you to fear. To take even what you hear today and go, hey man, I'm, I, just, I don't want to live any different. I'm just going to keep to myself here. Death keeps us caged up. When will death lose its sting? When Christ returns. There is victory. There's no more death. There's no more fear. So in the meantime, what must we do? We must look past all of our circumstances to what is to come. And we ought to be immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor is not in vain. If I may briefly just give you this image of Abraham with Isaac, and he's going there to kill his son Isaac, and he is ready to kill his son Isaac because God told him to do so. How could he take that knife and get ready to slit the throat of his son? How could he do that? You know how he could do that? Because he was looking past that moment to the resurrection of his son. That's how he could do it. Abraham did not think that he was going to kill his son and his son stayed dead. He believed that if God told him to kill his son, he would give his son as a sacrifice and then God would raise him up from the dead. And of course, God stopped him from doing that. But in that moment, he is looking past that circumstance to the resurrection. We must look at our circumstances where we're called to be living sacrifices every day and we go, it's too hard. I can't be a Christian. I can't glorify God in all that he's called me to do. Look past your circumstances to the resurrection where our bodies will be called up with Christ and this earth will be no more and it will be made new. That's how we remain immovable. As you endure the fire of tribulation and persecution, remember, our God is a consuming fire. When this terrifying event takes place, it will be too late for those who are opposed to God. And they will no longer have the opportunity to take shelter underneath His almighty wings. We are to take the gospel and penetrate this culture. Christian, if you believe this, will you look past your circumstances to know that your eternity is not where you're going to be in some lame place that's nothing but white, filled with smoke, and you're playing all kinds of different songs on a harp, and that's all you're doing for eternity. Will you get a better view of eternity? Will you receive a biblical view of eternity? That what you enjoy most here pales in comparison to what you will enjoy forever when this earth is restored and God is our king. There will be no election time. There will be no division of who do you think should be president. I don't know, I think this person should be president. Do you think a man or a woman should be president? None of that. It's gone. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Now we're awake, right? 
No, God is king. And nobody's going to be saying, I don't think God should be king. I think I should be king. No, none of that. We're righteous and God is king and there we will dwell with him forever. Enjoying life. Something that has been made new. 2 Peter 3, 11 through 13. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to ask it as a question to you. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Verse 12, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Church, do you believe this message today? Will you go back and study? Will you go back and read over? Will you be very familiar with this? Because I believe this message, the gospel, changes how you live right now. It changes how you treat yourself. It changes how you view God. It changes your circumstances and how you view each and every one of them. It changes the way you interact with your spouse. It changes the way you interact with your kids. It it, it changes the way you interact in your single life, wherever you may be. It changes you right now having this focus on what will be redeemed. That you go out and when you see creation, that you don't see it the same as when you walked in this room. You look and go, wow, that is is beautiful. But what is to come is going to be even more beautiful. So if you're here today and you hear this message and you think, man, I'm, this is, this is hogwash, man, this ain't true. I don't believe what you're saying. Look, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a firm believer in the Bible. And if you hear this message today and you're going, this is not truth, then you find yourself fighting against God. And I pray for you. I pray for your hard heart that it will soften and that you will trust in God. You'll trust in His Son. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm hearing this and I need to follow Jesus. This has terrified me to my core. I, I need to lay my life down and follow Jesus. I trust what He did for me on the cross. Hey, Today's salvation, right now. Look to Jesus. Call upon him. I believe in you. Believe what you did on the cross. Look to him. I'd love to talk with you in just a moment. If that's you, I'm going to be standing right back there in the back. I'd love to talk with you. Will's going to be up here. Joby's going to be up here. We'd love to talk with you by following Jesus. Church, you hear this today? Do you believe it? Will you rejoice in this? Will this change the way you live your life day to day? That no matter what happens, no matter what stands in front of you, you will never reject Christ. That you will always be immovable, looking for every opportunity to exalt Him. We would be forever changed. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this time. Lord, we just ask Your blessings as we ponder these things.
I pray for the hearts in this room that you would work on them through the power of the Holy Spirit. I always want to remain faithful to preaching your word. Thank you for revealing your word to us. You're so kind and generous to do that. God, with this eternal outlook, may we be excited about what is to come. May we be mindful that everything that we look at that seems so immovable will perish. Yet only that which has been redeemed by Christ will remain. So I ask now that you do a great work among us, Lord. May this spur us on as the church to be kingdom-minded. Living lives here on this earth with great significance for your name's sake, for your glory, for the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.